Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hello everybody, it's time for another Plundergrounds. I've got a couple call-ins I'm going to use to kick things off today to hit a few topics quickly, and then we're going to move into talking about creative rubrics and creative check-ins. And I don't want to say too much about those before their time, so let's start with these calls. The first set of calls I got had to do with physical versus digital media and the various patterns that people have regarding those. And all the old arguments apply. Um, There's no right answer to this. It's kind of personal preference and situation and everything that drives the way you consume media. But there were some good points made. Uh, One of them was uh, Chris Shore called in to say, that while he likes to back things physically, if he's going to really consume the product, if he's just trying to support a creator, he backs the digital version. And I think that's smart because there is probably more profit always in um, money for digital copies than there is money for physical copies. Uh, When I'm doing a physical copy, there's just a lot more energy that goes into that uh, and the cost of shipping, the cost of production, all that kind of stuff, lost from, from being lost in the mail. Uh, but with a digital copy, you know, it's just sending somebody a file, often letting them download it from a site. And uh, the money that comes in from that is nice and clean. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. If you just want to support somebody, back them digitally, right? You're not really, uh, by investing more to back the print version, you're probably not giving them any more profit than you would if you just back the digital. So think about that. He also mentioned that he won't do a Kickstarter anymore typically unless the digital comes with the physical like if you order the physical you should also get the pdf whole i wholeheartedly agree with that we're in a weird world right now where people are trying to charge separately for both sometimes and um, kind of extravagant amounts i think for a digital product uh, that has no none of those production costs and whatnot but i won't uh, i won't blame people for that or name names i'm just saying that you know we all have to draw our own lines and make our own choices in that regard The other call-in I got on that subject was from Rich Frazier of Goblin's Hinchman, and I'm going to play his call-in right now. Hey, Ray. How's it going? Been loving your zine review podcast lately. I've been really into zines lately. I um, have been buying the physical as well. I I don't know what it is about them. I think it's because I have a little more pocket cash because I like the way they look. I'm trying to find a way to organize them. Um, I bought some boxes off of Amazon. I bought some boxes um, from some guy in Europe that look gorgeous. Probably spent too much money on them, but you know, whatever. Um, Anyway, right now you're talking about uh, organizing your PDFs. I'd like to hear more about that. And you're talking about Caliber. Are you using Caliber to organize your PDFs? I would find that interesting. I'm thinking about that now. Anyway, love to know how you're organizing your PDFs because mine are a jumble mess. Um, Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks for the question, Rich. That is probably a subject that deserves its own podcast, but I'll try to do it justice in a short snippet here. Um, In organizing my PDFs, I have started with, you know, the bulk of them are not things that I necessarily want to keep in, um, like, I, I I think in terms of like, um, loaded memory versus unloaded memory, right? It's kind of an old computer idea, RAM and ROM, but these days it's kind of like 
we'll talk about resident versus non-resident memory. It's just what's, I always, I always like to, when I'm giving analogies to people, I like to talk about the showroom floor versus the warehouse, right? So the things that you have out on the showroom floor are the things that you're ready to demonstrate to people or show to people. And the things in the warehouses are all boxed up and neatly organized. So I'm, I'm dealing with the warehouse right now in terms of PDFs. And I went through all of my PDFs and sorted them into folders and labeled them consistently. Um, used a, I use a product called Name Mangler uh, when I want to, you know, change casing or remove like underscores and replace them with spaces and all those kinds of things. I've also been adding in brackets at the end of each uh, an acronym for a system if it applies. So I might put in like TFT for the fantasy trip and then I'll put... Um, Y in a year, and I'll put a little a little Y for, on purpose. So when I'm searching, I could like search my whole games folder for anything from the year 1981 and see what products came out in 1981, which is kind of a neat thing to do. Um, and I'm also doing some. I also do some right click uh, color coding with the Mac system to indicate. Like I have a I use a gold tag to indicate gold RPGs, ones that are in kind of my perennials, you know, my, my collection of go-tos. And those are the things that'll end up in the showroom floor as it will, (laughs) as it were. Um, so I'm doing that. And then at the same time I am, yes, using caliber for some things. At first I've been moving over my game texts into caliber. So things that are more properly books and works of fiction or nonfiction that relate to gaming as opposed to a game book. Um, but I'm starting to starting to work my way through that. So to be specific, like Game Wizards by uh, by John Peterson is a book about the history of TSR uh, up to the up to the departure of Gary and shortly thereafter. And uh, I've got that one in caliber as a book, right? Because it is. It's a book. It's a book you could find on a shelf uh, to read, not to play, not to teach you how to play a game. Uh, but it is obviously about the history of games. And one of the cool things about Calibre is you can create separate libraries um, and not necessarily duplicate the texts and everything. So, and you can use tags, which are really helpful. Uh, you can even create custom fields, which I have done. Uh, but I, I have a game gaming tag and a choose your own adventure tag and some other tags to kind of mark um, different different types of game books. So I'm starting to develop that. I'm, I guess I'm really in the process of developing my whole strategy a little bit, but uh, it's working out pretty well. And I think I've made enough attempts at this in the past to, to know what I want. Uh, so the next thing that got moved into Caliber was my um, solo play game books, right? So those fighting fantasy, choose your own adventure, those kind of things I've moved in there and uh, have given them tags that are appropriate so I can find them easily. And I like the way Caliber sort of automatically um, categorizes or like cleans up your file system for you. Like it files under authorial names. And I have my Caliber library uh, as well as my RPG folder library that I'm talking about situated in iCloud so I can get to it from any device. Uh, that way if I want to pull it into the showroom floor and out of the warehouse, if you will, I can do that by you know pulling a copy into Goodreader or something from from that, uh, from those folders. Caliber is odd in that it doesn't have its own app uh, for mobile devices. So it really is just more of a desktop utility for organizing books. But I I find it really strong that way. You can do a lot with it. Uh, And then let's see. So the, the, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say about that for now. Um, Like I said, we could talk about it kind of ad infinitum about 
what kind of tags and fields ought to be populated and what kind of things you clean up and genre tags, which are a nightmare. You know, it, it always, I've gotten a number of times into like tagging things by genre and then I'll end up stripping them all back off, whether that's RPGs or music or whatever, because I, I find genres really confusing because they have these gray edges, right? And everybody's going to argue about what a genre is and you can either be really granular or not so granular with, with genres. Um, it's all very confusing. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm just trying to do what makes sense to me, and I'm trying to cull my collection that I really tag the most and really organize the most down to the ones that I'm going to use a lot and take the others and, and realize that it's okay for them not to be so organized. I just need them to be kind of in clearly labeled folders where I can find them if I need them, but I'm probably not going to access them. Um, i trying to think of a good example of that. Most of my old GURPS stuff, for instance, is... is kind of not something I'm going to go to. Yes, they're great source books, even if you're not blah, 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 you know, right? You know, all the arguments about GURPS books. But the truth is I don't go to them very much. It's kind of like that that deal you do with your closet where you turn the hangers around. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but you turn all the hangers around in your closet. And then after a year, uh, you look and see which hangers are still like facing the wrong way. Because as you've gotten clothes out to wear them, Theoretically, when you put them back, you put them back with the hanger facing the right way, uh, you know, over the hook from the front or over the bar from the front as opposed to hook over the bar from the back. And so at the end of the year, you look and see all the reversed hangers and you take all those and you just donate them to Goodwill and don't, don't think about them because as cool as they look or you're going to wear them, blah, 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 you're, you know, eventually you're going to wear them. Yeah, well, you haven't worn them in a year, right? So how long was, you know, when are you going to wear them? And the chances are you're not going to. So those are, there are different ways to kind of cull your collection. I suppose you could take that kind of spark joy approach. But I, I find that the minute you sort of uh, begin entertaining the idea of an object, it's like what you're going to do. All the things that you, the reason you got it in the first place, why um, you thought it would give you joy comes into play, right? And then you, then you want to hold on to it. Uh, I find it better to kind of think about like, well, I know I said I would use this, but I haven't used this. So I'm going to, I'm still have it, but I'm going to move it back to like a back burner. Right. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I've been doing with that. So let's go on to our next call in, which, uh, well, so the next one came from Goblin's Henchman. And I'll just mention that he brought up uh, Blake seven as a really cool kitsch uh, sci-fi watch, UK kitsch uh, sci-fi television watch. I have not watched that. I've heard of it. Um, I'll probably put it in my list. But uh, thanks for thanks for that recommendation. And then we have a call in from Cody of the No Save for You podcast uh, about dice. Hey Ray, it's Cody. I um I wanted to discuss dice, and I had a, a bit of a gripe, not necessarily with you, um, but it seems a lot of people do this. I cannot stand when people calculate percentages of dice rolls. Um, to me, it like totally robs the magic that I um, that I project onto dice rolls and onto dice themselves. Um, so for me, I never do it. You know, I understand like you know on a d20 each side, there's a five percent chance that that number will turn up, but I, I don't ever you know calculate the odds of a dice roll in my head or on paper while rolling or before rolling. I just you know when I found dice when I was a kid, there was you know it's like there's a bit of magic there and I don't want that to be going away from, you know, math, which to me is not magical. So anyway, keep it up later. I guess I wanted to add on to um, a bit that I mentioned at the end of that call. I guess math can be magical. And if we read the, the dying earth stories, you know, Pandaloon teaches, um, 
or I can't remember the name of the first wizard we meet in the Dying Earth series. Um, but Pandaloon teaches this guy math so that he can create, um, you know, humans and vats. So I guess in that sense, math is magical, but, you know, calculating percentages is not magical to me. So anyway, I guess math is magic, but um, not, not vice math. <laughs> um, anyway, keep up the good work, man. Later. Yeah, I agree, Cody. I understand both sides of that argument. I am guilty of sometimes doing the calculations too much, maybe. But what I've found is the calculations don't really tell you that much, uh, which is funny to say. They tell you how the dice should behave um, if if we're talking about the law of very large numbers, meaning how the dice would behave if you observe them over millions of throws. But how dice actually behave in the short run does have kind of a like people expect them to behave in a microcosm the way they're going to behave in a mic in a macrocosm. They expect them a, a d10 to behave in ten rolls by rolling a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, a seven, an eight, a nine, and a ten. Not necessarily in order, but one of each. And that's just not what happens. You can roll a d10 fifty times, and you may not actually get a number. There may be a number like nine that never shows up, or it shows up only a couple times out of fifty, which is you know it should have shown up five times out of fifty. Well. You know, so I, I still find them mystical and interesting, even though I can kind of, you know, calculate how they should behave. And I think when you're doing game design, you, you kind of owe it to yourself to look at scales and mostly to kind of understand what the whiff factor, what the whiff factor is going to be like, meaning what, uh, how often are players going to fail? And is that appropriate as to the tone and, and you know, such of the, of the game? One of my complaints, I've, I've said this a million times, I think, about uh, the fate system is that the, the fate um, writing, the, the settings for fate tend to be very cinematic. But the dice themselves are not really cinematic at all. They're very zero-centered and don't uh, they don't swing at all, right? So, um, yes, you can get four pluses, but it's really extremely unlikely that you get four pluses. It's a lot harder to get four pluses on, on three fudge, on uh, four fudge dice than it is to get a 20 on a D20, right? A lot harder. So, um, you know, I just think that's an interesting thing to look at when you're kind of building a system. It's not just like, well, I like D12, so I'm going to use D12s. You should think about like, well, what, what, what does the D12 give me? You know, what can I get out of the D12? Um, mathematically to kind of think about how the dice should behave and then just let them behave however they behave in, in the moment. It is uh, both magical and uh, mathematical in, in the same breath, right? Uh, also, um, the way human brains interact with statistics is really funny because we're really bad at understanding how randomness works. We, we kind of, we think of random things as not really being, uh, well, what we think of as random isn't really what random is a lot of times. We tend to think of enforcing that, that distribution I was talking about. Um, but in fact, uh, random is random. So the best example I can come up with this is uh, when iPods first came out, the shuffler algorithm that they designed, that uh, Mac designed for the iPods, was to, or the Apple, I should say, designed for the iPods, was to play songs randomly, right? So if you got 100 songs, it played them randomly. And every once in a while, you'd hear a song back-to-back, -back, or you'd hear it within three songs or five songs of itself, and you'd think, well, this crazy, you know, this isn't random at all. It played that song twice. Uh, yeah, it is. That's what random is, you know, that it has no memory. That it could, like, it could roll it again the next time. Sometimes you roll two 100s in a row, right? But um, Apple... 
uh, bowed to that and said, okay, that's not how people perceive random. And so they put in some non-random like preferences in the algorithm to keep songs from playing too closely to themselves so that you'd have some separation and you wouldn't think it's just repeating the same songs because, you know, because you, you don't understand randomness, right? <laughs> uh, great book for that, The Drunkard's Walk. If you've never read that, I'd, I'd recommend that to somebody who really wants to kind of dig into the, the kind of human uh, reaction to probabilities and why we're so flawed at understanding them and how that affects us. Uh, it's, it's kind of a neat book. But that's all I want to do for the call-ins. Let's get to my main topic. Faster, faster, into the arena! That little audio clip was from the TV show Voltron, which some of you may remember fondly, a cartoon from the 1980s. And it's relevant, uh, will be relevant in a minute here, as I talk about creative rubrics and creative check-ins. Now, one of the things that I've admired about uh, uh, people and learned from people, creative people on the internet, is the way they manage their creative routine. I um, am a big proponent of putting in the hours, putting in the work, putting in the practice, right? And I've mentioned before that I have a friend who ha has the iron butt theory, which is to say that you, you know, if you really want to do something, you got to put your butt in a chair and pretend it's like made of iron that you can't move it for a while and, uh, you know, sit there and do the thing that you're planning to do. You want to write a screenplay, sit down and write screenplays. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, crappy screenplays, uh, it's the act of writing them that makes you better at it anyway. So you just have to kind of push through all that stuff and clear it out and learn and force yourself to get better to do it, right? Um, the other thing I'm sure I've mentioned before is kind of this, this the idea of the pretender, the person who walks around saying they are an artist, a poet, a, a screenwriter or whatever, uh, because that's how they like to think of themselves. But when you actually get down to questioning them and find out like, well, how many hours did you put in on that this week? You know, maybe they didn't put in any this week, any hours in this week, or maybe they didn't put any hours in last week. And you think, well, you know, then how do you call yourself that? Are you doing that or not? Right? Are you doing the thing? Or are you just saying you're doing the thing? And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Well, from a creative standpoint, uh, I've seen people uh, do a couple things. There's a couple people on uh, that I've seen on YouTube. Um, one of them was the creator of Full Light, Full Steam, and I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but I think I'll probably get that in a minute. I think he was one that used to do this, where he would do a video check-in uh, every week or every day. Joshua Bishop Roby, is that it? I think I think that's it. I'm going to have to double-check it, though. Uh, and he would do a creative check-in all the time just to kind of like be accountable to this audience of people that, you know, want to hear from him. Or even if there's nobody there, you just kind of like, you're putting it out there. Um, it's very easy to say you're going to do things. I'm guilty of this. You know, if you look back through my podcast, there's a number of things I intended to do, said I was going to do, didn't get done, right? Maybe I still will someday. But, um, but you know, it's this kind of like owning up to what it is you're planning and, and, and then watching it over time to see if it bears fruit. Uh, so then, uh, one of the ones I really like that I'm going to talk about a little bit in depth, we'll just give an example, I guess, is that, um, Judd Carlman, uh, who has his own podcast, uh, uh, dragons are real. Is that right? Or daydreaming about dragons. Now I'm confused. I think it's daydreaming about dragons. Um, there are two podcasts with similar names out there. So, you know, they're both good, um, but I'll put a link to Judd's show in there. And, uh, Judd's a, a really cool creative type, um, 
He's an influencer, uh, whether he intends to be or not. I don't think he would think of himself that way, but he is just because he has cool ideas and people like to listen to him. But he had this format that he was putting out. I think it was in the G Plus days I first saw this, but he does it through his blog at the Githyanki Diaspora, Diaspora, sorry, uh, the Githyanki Diaspora. And he talks about uh, reading, planning, and writing. So those are the three words that he uses to kind of organize what he's doing in a week. So he would tell you what he's reading or consuming, might be a TV show even, I think. But So it's just like, you know, what are you consuming? What are you taking in creatively? What are you planning on working on? What, you know, what's in the ideation stage where you're not really working on it yet, but you're just kind of like mulling it over and ideas are, you know, what's influencing you right now? What's, what's on the What's, um, what's in your mind, right, to, that you want to play with? What are you tempted to write? What do you, have you still been, you know, you, something you want to write for a long time that you still find the yearning for? And then what are you actually writing? What, what are you sitting down to do? So um, I, I've used that a number of times in different forms. I'm just going to do today, I'm going to do a watching, reading, planning, writing. I should probably do a playing as well <laughs> on there just because that's kind of fun. But, uh, but, you know, coming up with your own words and then like checking in periodically with yourself, even if it's a journal format that you use once a week to see, you know, what's what's going on. How consistent are you with themes? How often do they come back to you? Um, how long do you hold on to them before you let them go? Are you a, a tunnel vision person that really sticks with it? Is it the same entry week after week? Um, if so, how do you reach, you know, how do you know when you're done? How do you reach results or fulfillment on that? Or how do you keep upping the bar. Um, if you're, you a person who is scatterbrained and like, uh, you know, unfocused or a jack of all trades who likes to move around a lot, um, you know, how can you get the most out of each of experience when you know, you're not going to spend a lot of time on it. That's another good, you know, way of thinking about it, right? If you know that you tend to only focus on something for three to five weeks, then think about what is it you want to get accomplished that you can get accomplished within that three to five week span? What's realistic for you that you can have it as an artifact as opposed to an unfinished object, um, you know, for the next time you want to pick it up? Well, you know, I think we all have these cyclical hobbies like uh, aquariums are a big deal for me. I used to keep aquariums, uh, well, since, uh, since I was married up until about five years ago. I had an aquarium running at any given time. You found me, I would have an aquarium, at least one running. Um, I finally kind of got away from it for a little while. I don't even remember why now, um, but uh, you know, I got the bug the other day. I was driving by an aquarium store. I'm like, <laughs> I think it was when I was traveling a lot, and I just didn't didn't feel like I was doing a, you know justice. Uh, but you know, time time and place again. So right now, I, I'm trying to fight with myself not to start an aquarium. I don't need another project. But that was that's a circular interest for me, right? It comes and it goes. Um, old time radio, something that comes and goes for me. Vintage radio drama, something that comes and goes. Well, so I'm just going to run through watching, reading, planning, writing, and then bonus playing. Um, watching what I'm watching right now. I mentioned already that I'm watching some old Doctor Who. I also this week uh, pulled up a couple episodes of Land of the Lost. Uh, not a good TV show ultimately, but had a lot of cool writing under the scenes. So like the actual, the actual stories were kind of, you know, they were kind of preachy and um, simplistic and goofy. The dialogue isn't always the best, but the world and the, the kind of interesting things that developed out of it, out of convenience, partly, you know, some of it's out of laziness, but some of it's also just interesting developments. Like the last one of the episodes I watched was uh, called, I think it was called Down the River. And they they find this river. Of course, they originally get into the land of the lost through a waterfall and a river. And uh, 
you know, through a chasm that opens up as they're whitewater rafting. So they go down, they, they're rafting, uh, thinking they're leaving their place, right? And they end up kind of in this cave complex with an old prospector uh, who's left over from the Civil War. Uh, and then eventually they have to flee that area because the slea stacks and they end up uh, um, basically traveling in a circle. And they never really switch directions. They never went upstream. So the only conclusion you can come to is that the stream flows in a circle. And, you know, so that's interesting. What kind of stream flows in a circle? But then it also brings into question this idea of like time. So he mentions like what this old prospector, you know, what, what's the deal with him? How, how is he still, Civil War was over, you know, 100 years ago. How, how is he still around? Surely he's not that old, right? Is he just crazy or is he really that old and something weird's happening? And so it, get, it brings into this idea like, okay, something weird is about time and there's something weird about like, the, how they're trapped in this place. It reminds me of The Prisoner, how if you've ever watched The Prisoner, you know, he's in the, he's trapped in this um, uh, compound, this little Italian seaside villa where they're, somebody's trying to deprogram and find out what he knows. And uh, he keeps trying to escape. And like there's these, um, it's just a, a trope of the show, so I don't think it's a spoiler, but he'll try to escape and then turn, find out it's all an illusion that he didn't really escape and he's back right where he started. And so it's kind of an interesting thing they were doing with this. Well, that was Land of the Lost. And I also watched a couple episodes of Voltron uh, because I was bemoaning the fact that I didn't buy the Voltron Lego set when it was out. Now I hear they're doing an Optimus Prime Lego set, which doesn't really appeal to me. I wasn't a Transformers guy. I was a G-Force and Voltron kind of guy. but um, And I had just, you know out of gut reaction, I went to eBay to look up and see what the Voltron sets were going for and then talk myself out of it. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I watched a couple of cartoons to slake my thirst and had some really fun moments to think about how cool those were actually. Um, you know, they've got their flaws, but there's, there's cool things about them that are still worth revisiting just like the Land of the Lost show. So uh, before I get to reading, I'm going to uh, bring you a clip from Land of the Lost from the episode I was just talking about. You know, Collie's been eating those mushrooms for a long time. And uh, some mushrooms have funny chemicals in them that do weird things to your head. Dad, we're out of water. Mr. Collie, I'm thirsty. Oh, all right. You take some jewels, and I'll get you something to drink. Oh. Here. Here now. This will wet your whistle. I don't want a wet whistle. I want a drink of water. Ooh, what is that? It's awful. Oh, that's fermented mushroom and fish juice. Oh, puts hair on your chest. <laughs> I don't want a hairy chest. I want a drink of water. <laughs> By the way, I'm sure you can tell I have a really bad cold. Um, I'm getting over it now, but had a horrific weekend with it. Sorry for my congested voice. I'm doing my best not to click any cough drops or, or sniff really loudly into the mic. But if I make a mistake, I, I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, I'm in. Uh, so now we're going to talk about reading. And reading and watching are kind of the same thing. I think you could put it all under consuming if you want a more generic word. But uh, I started. I finished um, The Shining by Stephen King, which I'd never read before. Pretty great book. Um, you know, I really enjoyed that, especially as something I'd never read before. Very disturbing. Uh, but then I switched into something that I think of as a bit more like, gosh, any, anyway, I say this is going to sound bad. I want to use a word like challenging or, or um, 
you know, has more depth to it. Um, King's a great storyteller, right? And so he has good, good characters, fun setups, um, you know, surprise elements. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about those. This next book doesn't have some of that, right? But it also has some really, really out there kind of ideas. And it's by a guy named TJ Bass, who was a medical doctor, uh, may still be for all I know, he's probably still around. But he wrote two novels back in the 70s, one called Half Past Human, the other one called The God Whale. Um, The God Whale was the second of the two. They are loosely related, but apparently it doesn't matter what order you read them in. So the pitch on The God Whale appealed to me a little more, and I started reading that. Uh, It is a fascinating, uh, very strange book about um, a gentleman who in the very first chapter is, uh, he's in some sort of future uh, America, where you're, where you have to like apply to have times to run in Central Park. So he goes out for a run in Central Park, and um, and uh, through some shenanigans, he ends up injured, and then so he goes, uh, gets uh, frozen, gets put on ice. Right, this is kind of like a Futurama scenario, <laughs> like the pizza delivery guy who stumbles into a cryogenic freezing chamber, and he gets uh, he gets resurrected in the future when they think they can fix him, and there's a scenario by which he can, uh, you know, get a new host body and become fully physical again. Well, before they, I should say, before they do that, they actually make him into kind of a half a robot. And he has paired with a sentient AI in that. And he, while that's fine, short term, he doesn't want that long term. So he goes goes into deep freeze, comes out again. Uh, they offer him one scenario. He doesn't like that scenario. He goes into deep freeze again and then comes out way in the far future. And the world is just uh, uh, cool and weird and post-apocalyptic. And uh, humans are these kind of squat creatures with very thin, uh, like, you know, fragile bones that live in uh, silos underground. Uh, There are, um, uh, the seas are mostly dead. There's this kind of giant robotic AI whale that is both a ship and a living creature, I think, that is the the central, uh, you know, the namesake of the novel. Uh, There are some things like merfolk, alternate humanoids that are like merfolk. It's just really... It's been really kind of fascinating. Uh, it's kind of an ugly world. It's kind of a dismal world, and yet somehow it's it's just super fascinating. Um, I find myself running with the dictionary a number of times to look up terms that mostly because he has this kind of medical vocabulary that I'm not always familiar with. And uh, yeah, it's been a really neat find, written in the '70s, early '70s, I think. So uh, yeah, that book is the God Whale. Uh, just all one word, God Whale, by T.J. Bass. All right, moving on to planning. Honestly, I'm not planning a whole lot right now. I um, just finished a campaign, short run campaign of like nine sessions, and I'm playing in another one. And uh, I have in-laws in town for a month. I've got two kids graduating, one from college, one from high school. Graduation, the college graduation just happened last weekend. And uh, just lots going on. I got a user uh, conference coming up for my work. And, you know, so there's just a lot going on. So I'm not really planning too much, but I think... I'm in that kind of dreamy stage about, you know, putting together my next sort of round of, of what I want to GM and the kind of things I want to experiment with. And my mind keeps kind of returning back to uh, converting a lot of my ideas into the same raft of the same sort of weave of uh, stuff so that I can have kind of one go-to world. I, I admire, let me put it this way, I admire the kind of old school idea of, um, where somebody has their own little world that they've created, dungeon, world, whatever, 
and then people uh, they invite multiple groups, multiple peoples to come in and play with it. Now, I'm also a person that allows them to you know invent and add to it, right? But I'm looking at a lot of the things I've done in the past and thinking, how can I make it all kind of fit into one world and my mindset, like all my favorite influences and things, uh, so that I can just kind of settle down and like have this um, fictional realm that I work with that's comfortable for me so I can kind of run things at the drop of a hat. I don't really care so much about maybe if I switch systems to system or anything like that. But, um, you know, thinking about mapping some of that out and making it a little more like uh, composed in a way. So that's that's where my brain's at. I'm not sure like I, there is when I get to actually to writing, I can talk about how one expression of that is coming out. But um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not planning a whole lot. I'm kind of more in that consuming and dreaming phase. Uh, of things and things are very like um, unformed, I guess, very primordial. Whereas uh, other times I might have two or three ideas that are really hot, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, which one I'm going to do next and whatnot. This time I'm just I'm just trying to hang in there because I've got so many other things going on uh, that I think it'll be a very fruitful summer. But I'm not going to expect a lot out of myself, and I think honestly that's okay for me right now. So that was watching, reading, and planning, and now I'm getting to writing. This one's pretty exciting. I got a mention recently um, of the Gygax 75 on the uh, Questing Beast podcast. Not podcast, video cast, whatever, YouTube channel is what I should call it because that's what it is. Um, so the author, Ben Milton, the author of Knave, the author of uh, Maze Rats and some other, uh, Waking at Willoughby Hall, The Adventure for OSE, some other stuff. He mentioned my Gygax 75 project on his video. Um, he kind of did something at the end I wish he'd done at the beginning, which was kind of explain what it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a little zine uh, or workbook style format um, that I put together based on one of Gygax's old articles from 1975 about how to create a, a dungeon in town kind of experience for your friends quickly to get to get gaming and then like build it out over time. And uh, I just put together some kind of like sensible uh, a creative constraints and like ideas for how to do that week by week over the course of five weeks. And, uh, so, so he, you know, uh, Ben read that, had some nice things to say about it, had some differences of opinion in a few places, which is fine, totally fine. Um, and, uh, so I've seen a little bit of resurgence uh, of activity on that. Although I think the last time I looked, it already had like 13,000 downloads or something stupid, which is crazy because I don't advertise it at all, really, other than to maybe occasionally talk about it on this podcast. But uh, and it's free, so you can go out and get it anytime you want. Uh, but that's cool. It's cool that it's really getting out there. And it kind of left me thinking, like, oh, I should really revisit that and clean it up a little bit. Maybe make it a little tighter, um, a little more hard hitting. Maybe a little better art. You know, those kind of things to it. And it and it was weird because I had this thought about all these projects that I've sort of finished in the past, like Goblin Town and. And that, and the Oracle, and uh, Sharp Swords, and or sorry, <laughs> that's not mine. That's uh, Diogo Nigueras, um, uh, 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 Sorcerers and Cell Swords is what I was trying to think of, and other other games that I've created. And I'm thinking, I always think I'll do another version of them at some point. You know, make them a little better, uh, make them a little tighter, make them a little more interesting, add some material to them. And uh, I really got to thinking about that and kind of closing up like a legacy instead of like trying to invent something new or do something new to go back and, you know, really like clean up those things and kind of put labels on them for what they are. Like say, hey, this was an ash can that never really got finished. 
Uh, you can pick it up and look at it if you want, but no, you know, no guarantees. And as opposed to something else that might be like, this was a labor of love. I think it's really tight. Um, you know, here's uh, pick it up and use it and, and maybe even professionalize some of these things. So I once again, uh, went back to my Plunderground zines and started opening them up and re, um, you know, like re just cleaning up the text, which didn't need a lot of cleanup. They're, they're in good shape. Um, but it was written for Dungeon World, and I feel like that system has kind of had its day. Uh, so I'm doing what a lot of people sort of wanted me to do to begin with, which was convert it for BX or OSE Play. And I'm finding that really entertaining. Um, it's amazing how much the system matters and how you write, you know, some of the, some of the, especially the threats, the challenges in this thing. But I'm trying to still keep with some of that narrative framework, uh, like agendas, and uh, I guess what they call them, uh, impending dooms or whatever in Dungeon World. And yeah, that's been a really fun experiment. I hope I don't lose energy and peter out, but I think over the summer, um, I've already started doing it. And I think over the summer, I'm going to spend a lot of time writing this and putting it into a final format, a book that I can share uh, probably for print through Lulu. Now I may actually start talking to, as we go along, I may actually start talking to some companies about, you know, doing it as a hardback. Um, If I do do it as a hardback, it's going to be, I'm going to have everything completed, all the text at least completed. And, uh, you know, using the original art and, and place at least place uh, for maybe new art in it before I go anywhere with it. But if I do that, um, it'll just be to be able to print like, you know, really nice copies of the book for people who want it. Uh, and uh, I, I will probably be reaching out to the original artists again to like, you know, make sure I've got rights cleaned up and that there's some share in it for them. If there's any money coming out of it, I don't at this point, again, I'm just going to my, my goal is to get it together as a publication uh, a real book that you can download or that you can uh, get print on demand from lulu.com and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But it's kind of an exciting project for me because it means actually bringing that material into like a stable format that I think has some life for the future, right? That will, um, and a lot of it's, a lot of it's not system specific anyway. So it should be, it should be really good, I think. Um, and I'm excited about doing it and I'm excited about revisiting the material and kind of seeing some of the ideas I had before and maybe how I can make them even just a little bit richer here and there. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I've been writing. And then finally, like I said, bonus for what I've been playing. Well, you know, I mentioned it before, we've been playing this, um, superheroes high fantasy game and it started out really well, but we've had a couple, uh, last week we just weren't feeling it. So we ended up, we had a couple people missing and we weren't feeling it. So we had, uh, just a long discussion about stuff, you know, just, just, um, just some people sitting around talking about life. And, and we always enjoy that when we have to call a session for that. But I also feel a little guilty whenever we do that because, you know, we get together to play a game and uh, I don't want it to become in, I don't want it to become too easy, right? Uh, to call it off and just have a conversation. But sometimes you need that. Well, we should be back at it tonight and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if I can keep my head clear long enough to enjoy it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. I, um, Again, I hope these aren't too rambly. It's been kind of rambly lately. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get back to reviewing some zines. I've got some um, that I've looked through that I've gotten recently that I want to talk about. And so I think the next episode, we'll get back to doing that for a couple episodes. Until then, uh, again, appreciate your, your ears and your feedback and your good wishes. And I will leave you with another song from Mystery Mammal called A New Life. Oh, for a ride.